you join us as we welcome in the children this beautiful Palm Sunday morning?
This is this, this is the day the, that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you. Give us a su- success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We will bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Blind, uh, bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the, of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endureth forever. Good way to start the morning, isn't it? Uh, welcome here. Uh, my name is Luke, uh, if you're visiting, and I get to serve as the, the pastor here. A uh, few announcements. There's a lot going on. I, this is, it's, it's a good day. It's an exciting day. Uh, a lot happening today, a lot happening next week. Uh, I got so excited I wore a tie, so we're, uh, that, that's your cue that, that this is kind of a, a big deal. Um, a few things that are going on today. Uh, this is Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. Uh, later on in the service, we're going to be celebrating as Linda joins us as a member of the congregation. Please hold your applause for them. Um, but then afterwards, we're going to be enjoying a potluck meal together uh, after the service in the family center. If you forgot food, that's fine. You can stay. We told everyone to bring extra. So you're all invited, and please hang out and, uh, and enjoy with us. Um, Tabor College Band is going to be here April 24. Uh, they're going to do an evening performance, and, uh, and we're looking for people to help host them. So if, if you have room in your house and uh, you wouldn't mind hosting a couple of fun college students, um, that is on the, the Christian Ed Bulletin Board. Starting two weeks from now, we're going to start redoing, or I don't know if redoing is the right word, but we're going to do a pictorial directory. Uh, and this is not just church members, this is regular attenders. And so uh, starting two weeks from n- now... Uh, my wife, Joanne, is going to be set up with a camera over by the office, and uh, before the church service, just come on in, get your photo taken, and uh, we'll check to make sure that we have your contact information correct, and we'll be good to go. Now, I know that some of you might have family in town over Easter, over next weekend, um, and that's great. If you want them included in the pictorial and they don't mind, uh, just let Joanne know, and she'll arrange a little, a little private photo shoot for you. Um, next week. And by private, I mean in front of everyone, and everyone will see it. Um, also wanted to let you know that uh, as, uh, as Lisa gets ready to go on maternity leave, a gal by the name of Joni Powers is going to be helping us out on, on kind of a, a short-term temporary basis in the office. So, uh, yeah, if you walk into the office and it's a new gal, uh, say hi. It's probably going to be Joni. I don't know who else. And, um, yeah, just introduce yourself to her. 
Um, we had a good morning this weekend, uh, uh, today. Um, this morning we went out and we just took kind of part of town and we went door to door uh, with just a little gift of uh, some lemon seed with an orange glaze that looked pretty good. Adam Block made it for us. And we invited people to, uh, to come join us, to join us next week. Um, there's what we've been doing is that we just take part of town and we just pray through that section of town. And as much as possible, we pray for it name by name, house by house. And then we go around and we say, hey, here's a, here's a little treat. We'd love to have you join us sometime. And it's just kind of our way of intentionally pursuing people uh, in this community and, and in this area. And um, yeah, fun stories from this morning. It is amazing the, the positive response that we, that we get from that. Uh, which brings us to next week. Next week is Easter, and the schedule is a little bit different, so pay attention or enter this into your phone or something like that. Um, for the brave and bold, there is a sunrise service at 645 over at the, um, the park, the corner of it that's not labeled, Lakeview Park, southwest corner. Um, yeah, if, if you need more directions on that, talk to me. We're going to do a breakfast at 9 o'clock here in the, the family center. We'll have coffee on at 8.30. I mean, like, if you're just bored between sunrise service and, and, and breakfast, you're welcome to come here and, and hang out. We'll do breakfast at 9, and then we'll have, do a, kind of a, a special Easter service here at 10. Where's Teresa? MCC sale was this weekend, and she has a report on it. And she's going to share a little bit on that. First of all, I want to thank everybody for their participation, uh, whether you came and uh, donated your time or an item, but especially your money. Uh, we, had a, we had a good turnout. Uh, the numbers were just a little bit down, but the most important number was up, and the final total was $210,998.28, uh, which is about approximately 7000 less than the highest year we had which was in 2013. The highest quilt went for $2,200, and it was um, from the first Mennonite church in Beatrice. Uh, another item I needed to bring up is I am, my term on the board has ended, so I'm looking for someone to take my spot. It's a lot of fun. It's not doesn't take up too much of your time. We have about two or three meetings a year, and then your two days at the sale. So um, pray about it, get back to me, and um, thank you. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it's a good day today, and we give you thanks and praise. Uh, Lord, today we celebrate, we remember, we recognize uh, when you entered Jerusalem, all those years ago, um, and um, began a process that really opened up the gates of heaven for us. Lord, thanks for uh, letting us partner with you to pursue those in our community uh, and help them find a church home who might not have a church home. Uh, Lord, you are on a mission to uh, call and to redeem as many people as possible 
and the time that is left. And you have called us to partner with you on that mission. And it is a privilege and a delight for us to do so. Uh, Lord, but we want to be found faithful in that task. Uh, found faithful for all that you would entrust to us. And um, Lord, whatever it is that you would that you would have us do or that you would call us to that's, that's unique to, to our part of the world. Um, Lord, we want to be found faithful with that. We worship you and we love you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Would you join us in a celebration by standing and singing how great is our God. Travels high. 
I'll get that for you after the prayer time. As we enter into a, a time of uh, a prayer time, just want to bring one uh, prayer request before you guys. Uh, Timothy Paul, uh, who is Nicole Dente's uh, son, they're, they're a little four-week-old, uh, has had some respiratory problems and some pneumonia. And so he's, he was in the hospital, but he's home now, uh, getting better, but, but not out of the woods. Uh, that's Russ and Nancy's grandson. So, uh, yeah, I would just... Yeah, to, to, to share for a little, pray for a little Timothy Paul. So let's have a, a time of just quiet prayer. Father, we've, we've come to call this week Passion Week. It's a way of reminding ourselves how, how when you entered into Jerusalem, you, you had a week of trials or examinations before different leaders that, that eventually culminated in, in your death on the cross. Um, but it was a great act of compassion for us, um, great act of holiness. And so, Lord, this is a week where we remember your love for us, where we remember that you are Jesus, uh, we remember that you are Lord. Uh, we look at, at what you did with 
at, at what you endured uh, out of obedience to your Father and out of love for us. I pray that you would be speaking to us all throughout this week, reminding us, showing us, showing us ways how you're working and moving in our lives, Lord. We're so very grateful for you, and we are so very excited uh, to be able to spend eternity with you. Lord, if heaven contained nothing but you, uh, we'd be pretty excited about that.
borrow one of your stones. Linda, do you want to join me down front here? This is the fun part of the service. I mean, they're all fun parts. I guess maybe that's a bad statement. A uniquely fun. So Linda's joining us in membership today. And how this will work is that she's prepared her testimony. She's going to read it to you. Uh, then after that, I will ask her three simple questions of affirmation and, and commitment. And then I'm going to ask you three simple questions of affirmation and commitment. And um, then we'll take it from there. So, Hello, everybody. Um, about December, I came to Pastor and asked him if I could be a member of the church. And uh, he said no. Oh, he said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, he told me about preparing my testimony. And I'd never done that before. And I just... Um, encourage anyone that has never done their testimony to really to do it because it really makes you think about what God's done in your life and um, his faithfulness and uh, yeah it was really good um, he said to keep it short and sweet um, I kept it sweet but I don't know if I'll keep it short I am planning an altar call at the end <laughs> He thinks I'm kidding. <laughs> so this is my testimony by Linda Borman. Um, if I could use one word to describe Jesus in my life, that word would be deliverer. Um, he has taken a lot of bad things out of my life and has delivered me from them. And if I could use one verse that um, as my testimony... It would be Proverbs 3, 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not, and, and trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Um, I have been through many paths in my search for God and he has been there all along, straightening out the crooked. My first memory of God working in my life was when I was about third or fourth grade. Um, it was a hard time in my life, and I really needed a, a deliverer, and he really came through. Um, we were living in um, Fullerton at the time, and my parents met a couple who were starting a church in Grand Island. And they asked my parents if they would be willing to um, do a Bible study in their home. And my parents said yes. So once a week, um, this couple would come to our home. Um, I was little, so I was put to bed before the Bible study started. But um, as soon as I heard them singing choruses and um, talking about Jesus, I would slip down the stairs and listen. Mom said she never knew that. Um, but I do remember looking around the corner one time and, and the minister saw me and kind of winked at me and, and, uh, I hurried back into the, into the stairs, but I, it really brought me peace to listen to this couple, um, sing songs and talk about God. It was the first time, um, really that I heard, um, people do that. 
um, my parents soon decided to move to Grand Island and to go to this church there. Um, it was a small Pentecostal church. Um, um, the, the men were brother so-and-so, and the women were sister so-and-so, and a um, lot of small families, and we just really, um, we just were all friends. Um, one of the things that was good about the church was it taught me to, to take my own notes um, of, the, of the sermon, even as a child. I would write down notes, and um, it really taught me to write down scripture. Um, but looking back, um, I can see that what I envisioned God as was he was loving, but he was a holy being. And thinking back, I kind of th think of him kind of as a scorekeeper in a basketball game. And if you know um, how the score keeps changing, with every point, and you never really know who's going to win until that final buzzer goes off and the final um, um, point is, is thrown. And I knew that Jesus was coming back soon, and I didn't know where I stood with that scorekeeping, if I was ahead or behind. So what happened was is every altar call, I went up forward. Every invitation, I went up forward. Um, I could do it every day if I had to because I was, I just wanted to be sure that my score was good enough. Um, during my junior year in high school, my path was shaped again. Um, my older brother, Ken, he started going to his first year in college. And he'd always been going to church with us, and he seemed okay. But during that year... Um, he changed dramatically. Um, he was w once very proud of his albums and his music, and he just came home and threw them all away. And um, he was very, um, he used to hang out with his friends when he came home on the weekends. And instead of that, he started talking to us about Jesus. He would bring his friends home from college, and they would talk and preach to us too. And for some reason, this angered me because I was always trying to be so good for God. And I didn't want to hear him tell me to be good for God and that I needed to change. Um, I remember going to my, go going to my job at the movie, movie theater in Grand Island one day, and I went up to my boss and I said, my brother's coming home this weekend, and all he does is talk to me about Jesus can you please give me as many hours as possible so that I don't have to listen to him? That's how hard my heart was. Um, I don't know how he knew, but later Ken came to me and he said, you know, um, if you're so shaken up about the changes in me, um, why don't you come and check it out for yourself? It was the summer before my senior year, so I thought, why not? A man named Rice Brooks was a speaker at the meeting that was going on, and he talked about Jesus, the cross, and the sacrifice he gave me. And he spoke about how young people weren't going to God for fire insurance or to God as Santa Claus, giving them a free, an easy life, but they were coming to Jesus because he was God, and he deserved to be Lord. That day I came down, and I, I knew 
that I would never have to go down again for salvation again. I was a new person in Christ. Um, I would like to say that God kept me on his path from then on, but that would not be true. Um, I can say that he has been faithful and true to me no matter how far I have strayed. My greatest, my greatest life-changing event happened five years ago in May. Um, stopping to buy, to buy supper after work, I had a major stroke. And I went from Omaha to Madonna. And from there I was sent to um, the Wood River Nursing Home. Um, I believe for a short time for healing and for rest before going to St. Francis in home. One night while I was in St. in Wood River, in the chapel, a group of people came to see me. They brought along a quilt, which I still have today, and it is very special. Kind of chewed it up. My husband's dogs did, so I apologize for that. But I still use it. Pastor, would you read what it says? Linda Borman, you are covered in prayer. The Mennonite Brethren Church is praying for you, June 2010. Could you um, raise your hand if you were one of the people that came that that night? To me? I know there was more than that. They're just not here. Um, you all prayed for me, um, even though you didn't know who I was. You just knew from my mom that I had had a stroke. And even though you didn't know that you would see me again, you came and you prayed for me. And I cannot tell you how good that quilt felt to, to wear that on my bed that night and to be covered in, those, in that prayer I, I, I've worn it every, ever since. Um, like I said, I think my tr trip to Wood River was a time of healing. And I think it's a miracle. We were talking about miracles in Sunday school today. And I think it was a miracle that I'm here now. And um, I believe that God is bringing me here for um, healing as well. Um, I can't believe I'm not crying. Um, I want to be someone who t takes that healing to other people and um, to be a, a member of this church so that I can take what I've learned and the healing that I've received and um, heal others and I want to trust him again. couple questions for you and then for the audience. Sorry, I'll go like this. Uh, Linda, do you affirm uh, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I do. Uh, do you commit yourself to this body of believers to love, support, pray for, and serve? I do. And do you commit yourself to the fulfillment of God's mission for the church, which is to make disciples of all nations? 
and of the congregation, I ask you, do you, do you, welcome, with, do you welcome Linda with joy into our community? Do you pledge uh, to her your love, support, prayer, and service? And do you commit to work alongside her in Christian fellowship as we work together to fulfill God's mission of the church, which is to make disciples of all nations? Amen. Um, Could I get the pastoral care team and then whoever else wants to? If you guys would come up, let's just pray for Linda real quick. And uh, yeah. Dear Father, we thank you this morning for Linda and for her testimony. Uh, We thank you for uh, what you have done in her life and for what you are going to do in our lives through her. Just thank you for her um, confidence in giving this testimony. I thank you for her heart, uh, her desire to love and to pray for us and to be a part of us. And I just pray blessings over her that you will protect her physically, emotionally, and spiritually and that we might be uh, of service and support and help to her. We love her. Thank you. Father, I thank you for, for Linda. I thank you for the inspiration that she's been, the encouragement that she has given me. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless her and guide her and keep her and use her, Lord, here to serve you and to serve us. Thank you for her willingness. Thank you for her good heart. We just bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in the Easter season, and, uh, you know, for Christians, Easter is a big deal. Uh, Other seasons tend to get a little bit more kind of hype and and prep and publicity and that kind of thing, but but Easter is is really a big one Uh, because, I mean, we're believing that on Easter, I mean, Jesus opened up the doors of heaven and made a way available for us to be reconciled with him, to spend eternity with him. I mean, this is... Uh, Easter changed the the eternity of all humanity, and uh, and so it's it's a good holiday and it's a fun one to to celebrate. Um, the week leading up to Easter, um, Jesus comes into uh, a, to Jerusalem, and, and there's a series of kind of um, trials and that one's mine. I call her the cuteness. I don't know what I was saying. 
Anyways, uh, the week leading up to Easter is when Christ, uh, he undergoes a number of trials, examinations, and, and eventually is crucified. And so we've, we call it Holy Week, or, or we call it Passion Week. Um, now, just kind of, just kind of as, as a heads up, the, um, you know, sometimes you'll take a piece of scripture, you know, and, and you'll just kind of, you really kind of zone in, right? It's kind of more of kind of a microscope, like, what does this verse have to say? Uh, but for today, we're actually kind of sort of zooming out and, and kind of taking sort of a, a 30,000 foot view. We're going to be moving through a lot of scripture very fast because I'm wanting to get just kind of an overall look at the entire week. Uh, now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all record some version of it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are mostly chronological. I'm not sure John is. My understanding is that he arranged his, his more topically because he was trying to make a point, whereas the others leaned more towards a kind of a sequential kind of how things happened in time. Um, so it's a little bit hard to, to look to John for some of that stuff. Um, but anyway, so we're just going to move through a lot of stuff because I want to get you guys kind of the the big picture of, of what went on this week and, and some of the things that, that happened. want to look at how he was challenged, how he was examined, uh, cross-examined uh, during that week, and then, of course, how that applies to us. Uh, you know, several weeks ago, we were studying the feasts, for, for those of you who were here for that, and one of the feasts that we studied was the Passover feast. And the Passover feast, uh, I mean, one, it, it remembers something that happened, but two, it prophetically tells one of the things that, that Jesus would do. And what's interesting about it is that this week of examination, you know, of Jesus by all of the, the religious leaders, that was actually so significant that God wove that into the Passover feast thousands of years earlier. Uh, when God instituted the Passover feast, they were to take a, a lamb, you know, a pure spotless lamb. They were to bring it into their home on the 10th of the month, and then they were to observe it for the next four days before eventually they, uh, they slaughtered it. And, and for them, that did a couple of things. One is it just, it, you know, it creates a little bit of a, a, a bond and an appreciation that an innocent is being sacrificed on your behalf. Uh, but it also just gave them a chance to observe it and see, you know, is this a, a pure spotless lamb? So this week that, that we're entering, or I guess that we're remembering, um, this Passion Week is so significant that God actually tied it in prophetically, uh, you know, for the, for the Israelites thousands of years ago. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, yeah. Now, the week begins with, with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, last week, we talked about how he had kind of this, this death march. There, there was a time where he was up north, where he was in Galilee. Uh, there's kind of the Mount of, or the, the transfiguration moment where he hangs out with uh, Moses and Elijah. And then a few verses later, it says that he set his face to Jerusalem. And, and, and we looked at how really, I mean, the whole rest of the book, Jesus is on this kind of this dedicated death march because he needs to be in Jerusalem on time for his own death. And it, it was fascinating to look at all the things that happen and, and say and, and get said, knowing that this is Jesus' final journey as he's, as he's entering back into Jerusalem. So that's what we did this week, and so now this week, um, uh, we're, we're looking at, at that final week. For the most part, I'm going to be going through the book of Mark, uh, not because it's the best account, but just if you want to follow along, you can follow along. 
Uh, but like I said, we are going to be kind of moving pretty quickly through some stuff. It'll also be up on the screen. Uh, but the, the, the triumphal entry, what we celebrated here with, with the branches, uh, let me just read that to you. So we're going to start in Mark 11, verse 1, and uh, I'm going to read the, the first 10 verses for you. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of the, his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it. Uh, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. When they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside of the street, they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told him just what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others um, spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. So when Jesus enters, uh, it's very high profile. It's very exciting. It's very public. There, there's lots of, of fanfare. Uh, once he's in Jerusalem, uh, it, one of the first things he does is he, he, he goes and he, he checks out the temple. Uh, verse 11, he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So uh, this is late time. I mean, this is, you know, all the shops are kind of closed up. This is after hours. He goes into the temple. He looks around. He doesn't do anything. He just kind of checks it out. And then he leaves. Well, the next morning, then, he, he kind of creates a bit of a commotion. Mark eleven, fifteen. They came to Jerusalem. He entered the table, a temple, and began to drive out those who sold and who bought and who those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, "Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers." Folks, he, he didn't lose his temper. Uh, he, he didn't just kind of suddenly have a, a, a fit of rage. This was absolutely premeditated. Jesus went to the temple every year. He knew what, was, what, what went on there. Uh, he went in the night before when everything was closed up. He looked around. He kind of scouted it out. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, he went in with great thought. He went in with great clarity, with great contemplation, uh, completely prepared for what he was to do. And I believe that something like that would have would have had to be forceful, uh, borderline violent. Um, he would have had to get aggressive with people. It says he it says that he drove them out. It's actually the same word as as, as when he, he he's casting out demons. Um, but what happens when you take a table? Uh, if you've been in other countries, you've seen guys who will do money exchanging kind of on the, on the street. I mean, you take a, a small table, you cover it with money, 
and then you flip it over in a crowd of people, well, pandemonium, everyone's going for free cash all over the floor. Uh, They're bound to be upset. Uh, Years ago, I was visiting a a trek team in Brazil, and we were crossing over the bridge, and there was this street. It kind of went down, and there were all these people who had set up uh, little tables, and they were selling kind of knickknacks and odds and ends on the table. And we're kind of half paying attention. But then this cop car starts out at the top, revs its engine, and then accelerates down the hill with one tire on the curb, knocking all the tables down, and then kind of takes off. You know, we were like, whoa, did did you just see that? Did that just happen? Um, Apparently they didn't have a permit or something like that. And and this is how they, they go about it. Well, but the people didn't leave. They were upset. They picked up their tables and they went right back to it. Um, it is hard to get a group of people out. You, you've probably been to like the state fair and, and there's one, you know, there's one shed or barn or something like that. And you got all these people and they're selling whatever, like Ginzu knives and weird herbal remedies and, you know, kind of all different kind of knickknacks, right? Well, imagine one guy just starting in the corner and deciding that he's going to drive all of those businessmen out of that shed. What kind of force of will, force of personality, um, exaggerant display would you have to do to drive all those people out of that building? I find it rather humorous that in my Bible it says that Jesus cleansed the temple. Uh, We've definitely put a a positive spin on this. Uh, My guess is that for the local businessmen, he assaulted the temple He violated the temple. He vandalized the temple. Um, Yeah, we kind of look at that one uh, a little bit differently. So that's day one, right? He goes in the night before, scouts things out. Uh, Day one, he completely purges the temple of of all the businessmen and and money changers. Remember, we're just doing kind of the sort of the 30,000 view, kind of looking at the entire week here. Uh, Day two. As he is walking into the temple, once again, in Mark chapter 11, verse 28, they came to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do them? So we have the Pharisees, right? Group of religious leaders. Uh, Their legal authority is unknown, but they have a lot of uh, religious authority, community influence. Um, they, uh, you know, they taught the scriptures. They were the religious authority. Uh, you had the elders. So each Jewish community has a, a council of elders who had kind of a general oversight, and and they were the ones who represented the community in regards to to Rome. Uh, their primary duty was judicial, and they were charged with enforcing laws and punishing offenders. Uh, You had the scribes. These were the men who made copies of Scripture, right? Back then, you had to copy everything by hand. Thank you, Lord, for Xerox, but that's how they did it back then. Um, But these men, because of their knowledge of Scripture and of the law, eventually took on kind of a legalistic uh, lawyer role as well, too. These are all positions that you get by brains and by education. They are smart. They know their Scriptures well. They held a lot of influence. They held a lot of power. And all three of them at once show up and challenge him on authority. By what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? 
Because in this standoff, whoever has the authority wins. If they have the authority, then they can tell him to get out and tell him to leave. If he claims some kind of higher authority, like from God or some crazy thing like that, they can say you're a blasphemer, get out. And because they hadn't authorized this guy, they hadn't authorized this event, how could he possibly have more authority than they did? Right? So challenge number one is authority, particularly spiritual authority. Here's how he responds. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. They discuss it with one another, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Um, Their response was... Okay, no, we'll come back to it later on. Um, so yeah, so, so that's Jesus' response. Uh, he continues on. He tells a few parables. Uh, he says really rude things about the Pharisees, kind of to their face. Uh, but that's the first challenge, is authority, specific authority. Second challenger to come up to Jesus in the temple. Mark 12, verse 13. And they sent some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians... To trap him in his talk. They came and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Two groups, Pharisees. Pharisees, for starters, had a long-standing feud with the Sadducees about the spiritual realm, and also they were very anti-Roman rule. Well, it's speculated that the Herodians, when it came to religion, affiliated with the Sadducees and were actually politically affiliated with Herod. So basically, you have two groups who are polar opposites, who are kind of joined in their hatred of Jesus, coming together, trying to trap Jesus. Uh, Imagine this, uh, Bill Maher and Rush Limbaugh working together to trap Jesus, okay? That's, for those of you who get that, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. And they're going to ask him about paying taxes to Caesar, something that they're both experts on, but on their side of the debate. So the Pharisees could argue real hard one side, and the Herodians could argue real hard from the other side. In some ways, this is about taxes. I think it's a little bit as well about just how do we handle governmental authority. How do we submit to governmental authority? Uh, The Jewish people lived under oppression. It wasn't fun. They hated it. They resented it. Romans didn't like them either. And so they would, you know, they're waiting for the Messiah. The Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah who is politically going to return the Jewish people to power. That's why they got so confused about Jesus is because on the first coming, he did not do that. Um, So what do you do with an oppressive political regime Uh, Do we pay them taxes? And then they use that money to oppress us even more. And remember, they got together and plotted on this. So this was one of their best questions. I mean, they didn't just kind of make this up as they're walking in. This This was their choicest question. 
he responds in 1217, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, to us, it doesn't seem that brilliant because we grew up with it. But in verse 17, their response is, they marveled at him. For them, this just blew all their circuits. So that's the second challenge from a different group of people. Uh, Submission to authority, taxes, how do we do this? Then there's the third challenge uh, about the afterlife uh, or the the spiritual realm. Uh, We're moving along now. We're in Mark 12, uh, verse 18. The Sadducees, different group. Sadducees came to him uh, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow. Oh, uh, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife. When he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. The seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Now, this challenge comes from the Sadducees, and this one is kind of interesting. Uh, John the Baptist calls them sons of snakes to their face, which I don't think you should do that to other people. I'm just telling you he did that. Um, Scripture clarifies for us that they did not believe in an afterlife. Uh, They did not believe in angels and demons. In Acts 23, 8, it says, For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angels, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So if they say there's no resurrection, there's no angels, there's no spirit, one, I'm not even sure how you can say there's still a God or where they even stood on that unless they just figure there's a God and we're kind of here today and gone tomorrow and that's it. But they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in demons, no spirits, no afterlife, and yet they ask him about the afterlife. Why do you ask about something that you don't believe in? It's because you have gotten very good at defending it and arguing it. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Within the MB history, right? Um, There's this heritage of, 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 of pacifism, and yet at times we've had a country at war, and so we've gotten really good at defending that. Uh, If you're a non-pacifist and you enter into a pacifist community, you get pretty good at defending that. If you believe that that Mary is a big deal and a lot of homage should be paid to Mary, but others don't, you work up pages and pages of theology and historical perspective on Mary and why that should happen. Because you've gotten very good at defending it. Uh, I have known Americans to move to another country and finding themselves more patriotic because they're forced to defend it. And if you don't believe in the spiritual and everyone else does, then like the Sadducees, you get really good at defending it. The danger on stuff like this is that we get known for what we are defending rather than the core of what's important. Uh, When we were first exploring uh, the possibility of coming to Henderson, checking the place out, 
Uh, so looked up all the research or all the churches in town, checked out all their websites. I found stuff on Russia. I found stuff on history. I found stuff on Anabaptists. I found stuff on settling the Henderson. I found nothing on any of our websites on how to be saved. I found no good, clear statement of this is Jesus and this is the pathway to salvation. One of our projects is to update the website eventually. but <laughs> I've been here a year and a half, so I, I kind of got to take blame for that these days. Um, but when you start to look for it, there's a lot of Mennonite, kind of Mennonite brethren websites uh, that give you lots of great stuff on history, but not a lot of information on salvation, how to be saved, um, you know, her compelling vision of the future, that kind of thing. So, the Sadducees come up to Jesus with what I presume is their trickiest question. Um, and once again, there's a group of them. It's not just one person. So the group comes up and they ask their, their hardest question. And here's how Jesus responds. Uh, Jesus said to them, and now I'm in Mark 12, verse 24. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Um, Reword that in contemporary language in your head. Uh, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Jesus doesn't seem to have a whole lot of appreciation for their worldview. Uh, But in response, he clarifies that in heaven there's neither marriage nor in the giving of marriage. Once again, the crowd's response. uh, This one's over in Matthew, Matthew 22, 33. When the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So right now we're at Jesus 3 and Challengers 0. Uh, there's kind of a final question from a Pharisee. It, it's posed by a lawyer. Um, what is the greatest commandment? Um, and so Jesus says these words. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And Jesus really uses those words to kind of close off or conclude this first round of questioning. And after that, it says, after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Now, what happens next in, in Mark has been a little bit confusing for me. Uh, Mark records that a, an unnamed gal walks in, breaks an alabaster jar of nard, and anoints his head. Um, the thing that makes it a little bit confusing is that uh, John records a similar incident, but he, he gives different details. Um, in John, this happens before they enter, before they enter into Passover week. Uh, he's outside Jerusalem. Uh, there he names the gal as Mary. She comes in, she breaks this, this bottle of nard and anoints his feet. Now, in Matthew and Mark, it records that after this first round of trials... Uh, Jesus is in Bethany, and an unnamed gal walks in, breaks a bottle of nard, and anoints his head. 
I thought it was two different instances. The commentators seem to think that it's the same thing, that they just relocated it for some kind of theological agenda. Uh, not really sure. Um, the nard, though, that she used cost 300 denarii. A denarii is a day's wages. So the nard was 300 days wage or a year's worth of salary to buy this nard. Uh, I looked it up. Nard doesn't even grow in the area. It grows in the Himalayan mountains of India between 10,000 and 16,000 feet. They're in Jerusalem at like sea level, like plus or two or minus a few feet, right? So this stuff had to be imported from the Himalayan mountains above 10,000 feet. So it is very rare, very costly, very hard to come by. Um, but Mark records that this, that this anointing experience happened after kind of that first round of, of challenges. Jesus then enters his uh, kind of the, the next round of challenges. Uh, he has Passover with the disciples. He's betrayed. Uh, he's hauled off in, in, in handcuffs, so to speak. Uh, and the next round is, is around, are you the Messiah? In Mark 14, 53 to 65. They led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, and all the elders, and all the scribes came together. So all the people that he just made fun of in public are now there that night. The chief priests, the whole council, were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They found none. Many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. He remained silent. He made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? They condemned him, deserving his death. Some began to spit on him, cover his face, strike him, saying, Prophecy. And the guards received him with many blows. First off, I think this beating is different from what the guards gave. Uh, it just talks about men there, um, kind of at the moment. Covered his face, they blindfolded him in, uh, and then punched him, and then mocked him and said, prophesy. And we know that he could have, but he didn't. But the key question there, the key challenge, how Jesus gets challenged on that one, is are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Are you the one who will save us? And he says, yes. But when you see me again, it's going to be on the clouds of heaven. The next challenge or examination is before Pilate. Uh, this one gets recorded in all four Gospels. And what does Pilate challenge him on? Kingship. Are you king? Mark 15, 1-5. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus. They led him away. They delivered him over to Pilate. Pilate asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. The chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many changes are, are brought against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Every time Jesus responds to people, people are amazed. 
Pilate is the local ruling governmental authority. He has the power to kill, to pardon. He represents Caesar. And so he asks, are you king? Uh, the Pharisees did not have the authority to kill Jesus. They needed Pilate to, to do that, that dirty work for him. Uh, Pilate really actually seems to advocate on behalf of Jesus. Um, they continue to argue against it. And eventually Pilate says, fine, I'll do it, but the blood is on your hands. And they say, and we'll never know the full consequences of this, but they say, all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. And that would be a horrible heritage to pass on to your children. Uh, Jesus is also brought before Herod at this time. He doesn't say anything, don't know why. Probably some significance in that, not sure what it was. The final challenge comes from the soldiers. And they challenge him on physical strength. What the soldiers had was strength and brutality. And so they beat him. Uh, they beat him with reeds. They beat him with sticks. They mocked him. Uh, they, the, you know, the crown of thorns, a robe. It says they called in the whole battalion. Uh, today a battalion is 300 to 800 men. Um, but it's just another way of saying basically all the soldiers and headquarters they brought together. I don't think they had a personal vendetta against Jesus. I think this was just sick sport for them. That, that for them, this was, they just enjoyed this kind of public brutality. And this was some kind of awful entertainment for them. Was to beat this guy uh, publicly. After this, he's let out and crucified. So what do we do with all this? Jesus is challenged in a variety of different ways. He, he enters with festive parade, and a week later he leaves Jerusalem carrying his own cross. Um, of all these different groups, I mean, he, he wins pretty much all of them. Uh, most were conducted within the, the Jewish people group. Jesus is challenged on authority at the beginning. He's challenged on taxes and government. He's challenged on the afterlife. Uh, he's challenged on the number one commandment. What is the greatest commandment? Uh, all those challenges came from God's people, from the Jewish people. Uh, then after the Passover, he, you know, he's challenged on Messiah. Are you the Messiah? Kingship. Are you king? And then on physical strength. Did Jesus have spiritual authority? Should we submit to the authority we are under? Is there an afterlife? Is there any God at all? What's the most important thing in life? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the king? Will he one day be earthly king? Did Jesus have physical strength? The challenges to Jesus haven't really changed, have they? Atheists would say, there's no God. Uh, agnostic would say, there's no way to know if there's a God. Much like the Sadducees. Uh, every other religion would say that Jesus does not have spiritual authority. Uh, Hindus would say that Jesus is one of many gods. Pop culture would say that there are many roads to heaven. Jesus is just one of many. Um, and that we need to have lots of respect for other worldviews and religions. Uh, Mennonites have long struggled to, to agree on how to deal with earthly governmental authorities. And our world is at loss for what is important in life and what is not important in life. Is Jesus the one who saves? Is he king of kings, lord of lords, alpha and omega? Will he one day establish earthly millennial kingdom? Is Jesus son of God? Is he the only way to heaven? What Jesus encountered during that week and the way that he was challenged and the topics that he was challenged on in that final week 
remarkable similarity to how he is challenged today. The only difference is now that we speak on his behalf. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 to 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, uh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We are to contend, to struggle, to wrestle against, to destroy these false ideas about Jesus. We love people. We love them dearly. That's very important. But these ideas are things that we, that we wrestle against. The world does not need our opinions. They don't need our, our history. They don't need our, our niche of theology. What people need is Jesus. But oftentimes there is that mental block of, of misinformation that gets in the way. Um, and our job is to work past that to help them meet and encounter Jesus. Uh, people come into my office with pain and heartache. Uh, they, don't need, they don't need my opinions. Uh, they need Jesus. Um, and I've seen that time and again where people have met Jesus. And uh, it happened just this week in our office. A gal met Jesus, and it was powerful, and no one can take that experience away from her. As you talk about Jesus, the challenges that you encounter are nothing new. Uh, they've been around for centuries. Jesus faced them himself and won. There are only two things in this world that are eternal. The word of God and people. Jesus loved them both. We get to love them both. Uh, it's our privilege to love them both. So this week as we approach Easter, think about the challenges that Jesus faced. Uh, but more importantly, look at how people responded. And look at their amazement at when they encountered the true Jesus and when they encountered his truth. And how do we help people in our circle of influence encounter that true Jesus? Amen. Thanks for being patient. Let's pray, and then we'll go enjoy a fantastic meal. Heavenly Father, you are God. We proclaim that right from the get-go. You are God. You always have been. You always will be. Lord, you currently sit on your throne, uh, and it's a delight to serve you, worship you, honor you. Lord, many challengers have come up against you, um, but you are victorious. And uh, help us to, to, to relay um, this powerful information to other people and, and help us to, to help people meet you. Because when they meet you and they hear what you have to say, they're absolutely amazed. And they come at you with their hardest, most difficult questions that they have pondered together. And they meet you and they are amazed. And Lord, we want to be a conduit of, of those kinds of relationships and those kind of encounters. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand and join us as we sing My Savior's Love, and we can respond by appreciating God's, our, God's amazing love for us.
今日はご案内してみましょう。